Well, welcome for those of you who are visiting and don't know me. My name is uh, Phil Nelson, like Pastor Daniel just said. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm loving this a chapter a day. I am growing spiritually. Uh, I feel like my family, when we do uh, get the chance to to read together, we grow as well. Um, Eight years ago, for my 30th birthday, my wife... Uh, took me skydiving. She stayed on the ground. And I remember going about 11 to 12,000 feet in the plane, totally (laughs) attached to this guy I never met before. Weird mustache, by the way. But um, we got real close and personal very fast. And I remember, I mean, the adrenaline, it's like you stop breathing. And then when that light by the door flicks red, and the side door opens, it becomes real, y'all. Like, it ain't, you're, you're not turning back. Because the guy behind you, he's like, he said he did it like 1,355 times, and I was the 56th. And um, so we get to the door, and he jumps out. And here we are, free-falling, 125 miles per hour. Needless to say, when I hit the ground, my cheeks were literally at the back of my head. (laughs) What's crazy about it is it was super, super crazy, stupid. I mean, and I did it a second time. (laughs) It was awesome. And so today, today, we are going to skydiving adventure through the book of Acts because we're covering Acts 2 all the way through chapter 15, okay? So we're going to free fall really fast. So if it feels like I'm going through really fast, I am. If it feels like you're being overwhelmed and maybe you're not keeping up, that's probably true. Just grab the person next to you or grab the paper bag in front of you uh, and you'll flap ahead and just kind of breathe a little bit. You'll be fine, okay? Uh, so everybody, buckle up. Get your buckles. All right, buckle up. Good, some of you are that silly. Um, Oh, where's the seatbelt? <laughs> okay. Uh, and we're going to go. Now, most of you, most of you, when you get into an airplane, what's the first thing you do? You pray, right? I know Pastor Daniel prayed, but let's pray. Lord, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour. I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. If you haven't had a chance to join us on a chapter a day, or maybe you've gotten behind, uh, please don't beat yourself up. Just jump on in on chapter 15 today, and if you miss today, jump on chapter 16 tomorrow, and just join us, because here's the cool thing, is when you get time alone with God, and you start to read his word, your eyes begin to be open to God's amazing grace and his love for you, and you start to grow more and more like Christ, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Acts was written by a man named Luke. He was a physician. He is the same guy that wrote the gospel of Luke, good job, good job. Um, And uh, the purpose 
for Luke writing the Gospel of Luke, as well as Acts, is to give a historical and, and an, in an orderly fashion uh, account of the things that have been accomplished by the Messiah, Yeshua, which we say in English, Jesus. Uh, and it, it accounts his followers, the disciples, and the many thousands upon thousands later on in Acts that we see that turned the world upside down. We are forever changed because of the book of Acts. And that's why I'm so excited for us to read Acts. Now, Acts, yes, was written to a man named Theopolis. We don't have many guys named that name these days, okay? So we could read that and say, okay, this book is not for me. But a, a lot like what Dennis said two weeks ago when he preached uh, the last part of John, what I loved about it, and I never, I never heard it this way, is in the Gospel of John, John is referred to as the Beloved. John the Beloved. And if we're, if we're not careful, it's easy to say, okay, this guy was very special. This guy was the best of all the disciples, and he had it all together. And this guy is definitely going to have way more rewards in heaven than the other disciples. And that's not what it means. What it means, get this, is John was considered the beloved is because he understood his relationship with the Messiah. And so he understood that he was loved. And so that made him beloved. So the book of Acts, everybody, is for us, God's children and lovers of God, which make us beloved. It's for us. And it's for us to be challenged in our devotion to our personal walk with Jesus, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This should shake us to the core. This should challenge us to be extraordinary for Christ. If it doesn't, we're kind of numb or we're just kind of reading and not really paying attention. And so, we're going to go through three specific themes today from chapter 2 to chapter 15. I am not bold enough to try to cover each chapter today. We would be here till 2 p.m. Um, so, we've got three themes. The first theme that we're going to see is the main theme of Acts. Uh, you can stay there, Will. The second theme we're going to see is all about our Christian conversion experience and what's required in that. And then the third theme we're going to see is how God knocks down barriers that are wedged between us coming to a knowledge of the love of Christ. So we look at theme number one. We're going to start the free fall. We jumped out of the plane. Now we start the free fall. Theme number one is Acts. And an easy way, it's silly and it may be cheesy, I just made it up, maybe someone else made it up too, but to understand what ACTS is all about is you just take the acronym, ACTS, and you got along comes the Spirit. All through ACTS and the rest of the New Testament, even till today in 2017, we see the Spirit coming and filling men and women who believe and trust in Jesus. We read in Acts 1, chapter 8. Follow along with me. 
It's actually uh, chapter uh, 1, chapter 8, not that quote. I apologize. Is it in there? There it is. But you will receive power. Everyone say power. Power. That word is deutimos, by the way. That's where we get dynamite. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. And by the way, the ends of the earth. That means you and me. How cool is that? You see, Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, the resurrected king, then on the mountain ascends into heaven right before the disciples' eyes. And he goes and he's seated on the right hand of the Father. So then the disciples return to Jerusalem. They go into the upper room where they had the Lord's Supper, by the way, with Jesus. And all of a sudden, after a couple days of devoting themselves to fasting and to prayer, the Holy Spirit comes rushing in like a mighty rushing wind. And they are filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, fills the room. And Jesus Christ, through the cross, took care of our tainted sin that kept us from God and tore down, literally tore down the veil that separates man and woman from God. He tore it down by the blood that he shed And it separated us from the holy presence of God. And that was completely taken care of. It was destroyed. So now, what we're understanding with Pentecost of what what is happening here is sinful people who don't deserve the presence of God any longer. What they deserve is hell with their sin. The punishment of their sin. But sinful people are now forgiven by Jesus' blood on the cross. This is a huge deal. And the holy presence of God now lives inside of each believer. This is a shift in history, culture, everything. In life, this is a huge shift. Because man for thousands of years struggled to get to God through human sacrifices. And God says it will never be enough. Only by his sacrificial son, sinless, perfect son to take the cross for us. Can we have the Spirit? So now every single believer, we're going to talk about it in theme two, has complete access to the holy presence of God living in them. I love this quote here. It was just up there. It's actually from the ESV study Bible. It says this, In Acts, believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ among both Jews and Gentiles. And in doing so, uh, they established the church. Acts also explains how Christianity, although it is new, is in reality the one true religion rooted in God's promises from the beginning of time. And so we see in the book of Acts, along comes the Spirit. Jesus warned his disciples and he said, look, I have to go. Because if I don't go and prepare a place for you, the one who's even better than me, your counselor, your comforter, your guide, the one who's going to convict you of sin and show you my father, needs to come. And now when the Spirit comes, the disciples have this like light bulb moment where it all makes sense. Everything Jesus taught them. 
just comes to life. And now the disciples are changing the world. Before we get further into what the Holy Spirit did in Acts, one word of warning, okay, a precaution here. It is so easy, and I'm guilty of this too, looking at Acts and starting to just second guess the spiritual thing, starting to just doubt that the Spirit of God is even here anymore. That is very dangerous. Because what we do then is we look at Acts and we start to compare what we see the Holy Spirit do in Acts and we ask ourselves, why aren't we seeing it in our day and in our life through our earthly perspective? And that's dangerous because that is a lie. That is a lie. And as we continue through Acts, it is so important to see that the Holy Spirit is coming in such a special way, a unique way, and it is coming, He is coming in power and mighty display. Why? Well, number one, because Jesus said He would. Very simple. Jesus is the very form of God, God the Son. And if He says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Number two, is because God loves us. Why does the Holy Spirit show up? Because God loves us and he wants to be close to us and he can't be close to us unless his presence abides in us. And number three is the Holy Spirit is coming in crazy power and crazy ways, just like the skydive experience. It was crazy. He's coming to authenticate and confirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is Acts. Along comes the Spirit to say that whatever Jesus did and who Jesus said he was is true. And you can't create this. You can't make this by man's hands. This is God made. And so through the power and the goodness of the Holy Spirit, are you with me? In Acts, we see the very disciples who scattered and denied Jesus. Now we see these guys defined as drunk, overwhelmed with the Spirit of God, and they are proclaiming Jesus with such boldness, even with being beaten, accused, whipped, and even killed, as we see in Acts 12 with the Apostle James. This is a huge shift. We see real life change all over the place. Next, what do we see through the powerful supernatural acts of the Holy Spirit all over the place, not man-made? People are coming to understand after thousands and thousands of years of doing it a certain way designed by God. Now they're coming to understand that this is the eternal way through this man, Messiah, named Jesus. Hearts are being opened. People are being changed from the inside out. We see the Spirit falling in powerful ways in the disciples' lives and others' lives completely saturated by the Holy Spirit. We see the lame getting up. We see the blind recovering their sight. It's happening. We see 
unity amongst believers like we've never seen before that I think and I believe that in the last days we're going to see that kind of unity again. And that unity, as you know, the division of churches and denominations is not possible but through the Holy Spirit. We see a follower of Christ named Stephen in Acts 7, filled with the Spirit, speaking such a bold and powerful message. Read it. It is a long message, but it is filled with such truth that will draw you to the heart of Jesus. And we see him filled with the Spirit, seeing the skies open and seeing the sun, Jesus before he is absolutely stoned to death. We we see the Spirit spreading the gospel movement beyond the walls of Jerusalem. And if you're reading along with us, did you catch how that was spread? How the gospel was spread? It was through persecution. It was through evil. It was through attacks, rebellion, against believers who proclaimed Jesus. It just makes me, I don't know about you, it makes me step back and look at the hardships in my life. It makes me look at ISIS and all these other groupings that are trying to annihilate its name. It makes me think, God, are you possibly using the situations in our country and in my own life and your life to spread the gospel? Even if it means that my life would be taken? There's a bigger picture to our lives than just our specific needs. It's about the good news being spread beyond just this church in Blanchester in Cincinnati. So much bigger than that. By the power of the Spirit, we see healing after healing, miracle after miracle, dead being raised. Do you know, answer this to yourself, What the greatest miracle of all that we see in Acts. What is it? The greatest miracle beyond healings and resurrections. What is it? I'll tell you. We see a man in Acts 9. His name was Saul. And he was out for blood. He even approved and championed the stoning of Stephen. And was out for blood and he was on a mission and he would go from town to town and he would push the Christians out and he would pull the Christians out of their house and he would imprison them, beat them, and some were even killed. But there was this road called Damascus that changed his life forever. And what changed his life was an encounter with the risen Savior. The risen Savior. He encountered Yeshua, the Messiah, the greatest miracle of all, church, is not being healed, is not seeing miracles. The greatest miracle of all is when your heart of stone Resentment and rebellion towards God and God's ways and God's people. And is softened by the Holy Spirit. There is no greater miracle. 
No man can change anyone's heart, including their own. It only comes from an encounter with Jesus. And I learned a lesson these past 30 years of my Christian walk. And I learned it from cookies. Yes, I did consume some of them. I learned it from cookies. The hardest cookie crumbles the best. And so often we look at our lives and we think, or we look at someone else and we think they're so hardened and they're, they're resisting the movement of God and they're talking trash about you because you believe in Christ and they want nothing to do with you. And people come in our government and in our world and they're trying to push out Jesus. Guess what? They're a hard cookie and they're going to crumble really good. And I look at your life and my life And maybe your heart's been hardened. Just let God crumble you. Because when it crumbles, man, God makes everything clear. And he takes the broken and he makes it whole. He takes the ashes and the death and the loss in your life. And he makes it beautiful. And only God can do that. And we see this all through Acts. So do you need God through his Holy Spirit? To change your heart. To soften your heart. Because he will. All he wants you to do is seek him. And ask him. And so. Remember Acts. All throughout this we see along. Comes the spirit. And the Holy Spirit. Changes everything. Because Jesus Christ. Made it possible. Theme number two. This one's a little shorter theme. The Christian's conversion from death to life. Now, this could be a year-out series. And I'm just going to touch on it a little bit. This is all about a conversion that we see in the Gospel of John when Jesus is talking to a Pharisee called Nicodemus. And he says that truly, if you want to be with my Father and be in heaven, you must be born again. And Nicodemus just was so confused because he was just rooted in the Jewish system, the old covenant that was coming to an end. Because Jesus was fulfilling it all. And he says, you must be born again. And what he's saying is your dead soul because of sin. This is awesome. Guys, this black on here represents over 600 children who went through the walkthrough, and in the Garden of Eden, they didn't know the story necessarily, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the backstory. The Garden of Eden, because man resisted God, wanted to be God themselves when they realized they already were, because God made them in His image perfect, and they could dwell together forever, but they believed the lie, and they sinned. Because they sinned, you sinned. We have all been tainted sin. And because of that, God has removed himself from mankind. But Jesus came and he took all of our sin, all of it, all of it. Some of you say, "Uh uh-uh, yes, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. He removed all of it by dying on the cross for us. And we 
can have that kind of life. Excuse me. And so what this is about is being born again is allowing what Jesus did to replace our dead, sinful spirit and man, our soul man. And so this conversion is all about being born again. You're letting go of your sin because Jesus took it. Why are you holding on to it? He took it free of charge. And all you need to do is you need to receive the new life that only Jesus gives. So you're going from dead to life. That's why we celebrate baptism so much. Yes, it's a step of obedience, but it's also a symbolism of what Jesus did to our heart. Conversion. Born again. He took the dead man. Write this down if you're taking notes. Ephesians 2. Read Ephesians 2. That's what he did. Now, I want to talk about, in Acts 2, something happens in conversion. And by the way, conversion is something that only can be explained again by being born again. In Acts 2, all the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit's come and permanently dwelled in man who follows him. Are you with me? Do I need backup? Are you with me? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Daniel. Appreciate it. Um, They're filled with the Spirit, and after Peter does this incredible Spirit-filled message, what does it say in Acts 2, if you're reading along? It says that the people were cut to the heart. That's the move of the Spirit. You see, the Spirit cuts us to the heart of the things of God and the things of sin. He convicts us of sin. And he shows us God's gospel. Okay? So follow with me. They're cut to the heart and then they ask, hey Peter, okay, we believe. God's doing something in me. Something's happening. We see it. What do we do? What does Peter say? He says, repent. Repent. And be baptized. Every one of you, Acts 2.38, thank you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is conversion at its core. And I want to rest just for a minute on the word repent or repentance. Even in my life, I have taken this word out of context, especially in the book of Acts. Okay, So we're going to rest on this a minute. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which literally means... To change your outlook, perspective, or belief. Here in Acts, what we're seeing is not necessarily just turning from sin. It's, it's not what it's meaning there at that point. It's a byproduct of what happens first. Through the Holy Spirit, what happens in repentance is this. It involves a change of mind. First, a change of heart first. And then secondarily, it changes our behavior. Repentance here in Acts is all about a change of belief. Why? Because if it's not a change of belief, then everything else is just religion. Baptism is then just religion. Going to church is just religion. 
Changing your ways to be a Christian is just behavioral modification. It's not true life change. Repentance here in Acts is all about a shift of belief. Then the obedience and everything else follows that. Sure, repentance means you're turning from and turning towards. So when I'm in sin, I am going away from the cross, away from God's plans. I may even receive some discipline from the Almighty Father to try to get me to turn around and see the cross here. And so turning, I turn towards the cross and I walk towards Jesus. But that's not the repentance necessarily that it's talking about in Acts. This repentance is fully coming to the cross and embracing my belief and my identity in Christ. That's once and forever. Then the continual repenting of our sins is, whoa, 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 whoa. I've gone in my own direction. I've gone in my ways. I'm trying to be God. I've let pride and anxiety consume me. I'm coming back, Jesus. I'm coming back. But that never has changed our status of belief in Christ. So repentance is a shift of belief. If you're trying to be a good Christian, stop. Just believe in Christ. Let him take over. Okay? Getting off my notes. You you see, we don't do a good job at obedience as Christians. We just don't. We have this great experience And we feel God move, and then we just go back to our old ways. You know what the Bible says about that? You ready? As a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool return to his folly. Forget obedience and just have a relationship with Jesus. (laughs) Repentance... does not mean religion. If it's repenting of your sin because you feel bad and you want to do better, that's religion. If you're sinning and you just feel guilty and you want a clean conscience, conscience that's just religion. Jesus didn't die for religion, y'all. Livestream, Jesus didn't die for religion. He died for you. He died for a relationship. And relationship can only be experienced by repentance. Believing in Jesus Christ. Then the Holy Spirit comes in. And oh man, he'll come in and have a party with you. And he'll change you and rock you in ways. And the changing's not going to be, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, Spirit, why are you making me? It's like, what? Because your eyes are being opened to his amazing grace. Repentance is all about believing on your Savior. And then when you have relationship with him, you're going to want to obey. And you're going to want to tell everybody about the life change, just like we saw from man camp. Theme number three. We see when the Holy Spirit comes along, we see all racial and cultural barriers fall down as the Holy Spirit fills the atmosphere. This is huge because, guys, don't just read this as something happened in Acts. We have a problem here in our country and in our world 
with racial issues and cultural barriers. Can I get an amen there? We have a real issue even amongst the Christian community. We see this in Acts, but then we see it throughout the whole New Testament. In Acts 10, God calls Peter through a vision to go to a Gentile man named Cornelius. And let me stop here. Going through the Gospel of John last month and now going through Acts, it is very evident that there is a huge, huge gap, a huge barrier between Jews and non-Jews, which they call Gentiles. Huge. Why? Because God made that gap. But now they don't know how to fill that gap. And Jesus is saying, by my spirit and by my son, I am going to bring all people to myself. That's good news for me and you because we're non-Jewish. If that wasn't true, sorry, we could just go home right now. And it wouldn't matter. We'd be hopeless without a savior. So. Acts 10 calls Peter through a vision to go to a Gentile, not just a Gentile, but a Roman soldier, which was against Israel. Okay? Peter then realizes what the Holy Spirit is saying in Acts 10.28. Read it for yourselves. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has chosen me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's a Hebrew reference, and I'll get to Acts 10.34 says this. Truly, I understand, Peter speaking, that God showed no partiality, but in action, one who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. So let me just give you a little bit of history here. All along, the prohibition on eating unclean animals had just been a picture now. It's now a picture God always uses Old Testament stuff to show us a model of the new covenant. What he's showing us is just like they couldn't eat certain animals because eating them would make them unclean, so does sin defiles the human soul and spirit, making it unable to enter God's presence. Everything we've just talked about. But now that Jesus has died, he has removed the defilement of sin for the whole human race, for all who would receive it. This is big stuff. So Acts 10, 43-47, Peter is with the Gentiles, with Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit is doing something that he has never done for all of history. This is big. This is big. Never happened before. To him, all the prophets bear witness. Acts 10, 43. Peter is saying this to the whole household of Cornelius. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things. Could you read this with me? The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. This is amazing. What's amazing about it is for those of you who have contemplated salvation thinking about God and how all this salvation works. So often when we were raised, I don't know about you, some were raised in an awesome, God-fearing, Bible-teaching church. Some of you were not. I know I was raised that you had to have the right words, the right prayer, the right things to say, and you had to know the right people. This encounter 
obliterates that lie. Because what it's saying is they didn't pray at all. They didn't do any ceremony. They didn't go through any actions. What did they do? They believed the message of faith. And the Holy Spirit came like a ton of bricks. That's all. Just believe the message of Jesus and receive it. And watch the Holy Spirit change you. I love that. I get excited about that. And then it says, And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. And what's happening when the Spirit is poured out? I know I'm going to open a can because it's 1124. They started speaking in tongues. Don't get up and leave, please. Here's what's happening. I want to talk about tongues for a minute because it's taken out of context all the time. Tongues here in Acts, okay? Tongues here in Acts is all about breaking down cultural and racial walls. It's all about it. Because, see, everyone from all over were in Jerusalem for a feast. And they were hearing all these foreign tongues in their native language about Jesus. And they're like, what is going on? Tongues were given in Acts 2 to believers who proclaimed the gospel in the actual human language that they didn't even know anything about. As a sign of the gospel was not only for the Jews anymore, it was for the Gentiles. It was for those foreign people outside of the Jewish culture. Now, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, which we will get there in December, talks about other tongues and other purposes. We will wait until we get there to talk about that. But it was all about fulfilling Isaiah 28, that God would speak the gospel to the Israelites through strange tongues as a sign to their unbelieving hearts that the gospel was now available to us. That is phenomenal. Look at tongues very differently now in Acts because God is saying, I'm speaking your language, y'all. It's not about the Jews anymore. I accept you for who you are. My son paid it all. This was difficult. You know why? Because for 1,400 years, it has always been about Jews. And how often, church, do we make it about ourselves? And we place barriers in front of people coming to know Jesus because of who they are. Now I'm going to step on your toes. Okay? I say this in a heart of love and I also say this to me and all of our staff and elders. We're not perfect and we need to get to where we are fully embracing Jesus' Jesus' love and pouring that out to others. But let's just get real, guys. How often do we look at someone who doesn't look like we do? Who doesn't dress like we dress? Especially on Sundays. Who doesn't have the same convictions you do about alcohol? Or movies? Doesn't have the same convictions that you do about tattoos and piercings? And my goodness... Have we seen people who don't vote politically like we vote? Or don't agree with how you see scripture? Denominations, 
other believers who are experiencing the Holy Spirit, but they believe something a little bit differently than you do. Or even if the person we're looking at is an American. They're a foreigner. And maybe their skin color is even just a little bit different than yours. And maybe they even still watch NFL. Or not. And maybe they've served our country or maybe they haven't served our country. And yet, we look at that person who's different from us and we say, oh, God bless their heart. That, you know what? There's no way that Jesus can reach them. And maybe, just maybe, the person that you're looking at looks at their sexuality a little bit different than you do. And we put a barrier between them and the gospel. And we say it's not for them. That's what's happening in Acts, church. And may I say this, and I'm going to give credit to Pastor Daniel, because he, he and I were having a discussion And it says this, he said this, if we have the message of hope, the hope of the world, if we have that message as believers in Christ, any barrier or any status or distinction or differentiate, uh, that would differentiate us from showing love of Christ to someone else is in direct defiance to Jesus Christ. Let me say that again because we need to hear that. If we have the message of hope, any barrier or any status or any distinction that would differentiate us from showing the love of Christ to that person, no matter what it is, is in direct defiance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it comes to us today as the, as the band comes up. We all need a heart transplant this morning. I know our service is going late. What else is new? But if you want to really encounter God, we need to stop looking at the clock. And I know our E-Kids volunteers are back there. and I I just want us to push all distractions away. I think about... Uh, my my father and my father and mother in law they have uh, dear dear friends of the family and and just a couple months ago I, while they were in Nashville I stood up here and asked for prayer on behalf of this one family member who was in her forties I believe her name was Julie is Julie and she contracted a horrible infection. That attacked her heart. And her heart was no longer. Savable. And they didn't know what to do. Other than have a heart transplant. And you know how rare. Casey. Getting a heart transplant. Or a heart donated. Can be. Well I believe. I'm not trying to exaggerate. But I believe just a few. The evening. They had a heart waiting for her. But the challenge was, is if the heart, when it was placed in, was going to accept, the body was going to accept the heart. 
Thank you. And um, it did. Her life was changed forever. She is back, for the most part, back to normal and health. But it was a miracle of how a heart was ready for her at just the right time. The old heart that didn't work anymore, that was defiled and diseased, was taken out, and a new heart was put in. That's a miracle of heart transplant. And this morning, every one of us can have a heart transplant to where our sinful, defiled hearts can be made anew by taking that heart out and putting Jesus' heart in. I want to read to you a quote, and then we're going to start with just a response, and then we'll leave. I want to read this to you because I wanted you to read it and see it so that it sticks. It says this, when we were born again, God performs a heart transplant, as it were. He gives us a new heart. The power of the Holy Spirit changes our hearts from sin-focused to God-focused. We do not become perfect in the flesh, but we are absolutely perfect in God's sight because he sees Jesus. We still have our old sinful flesh and the freedom to choose whether or not to obey the flesh or the spirit. However, when Jesus died for us on the cross, he broke the power of sin that controls us. His power, receiving him, excuse me, receiving him as our savior gives us access to God and his power a power to transform our hearts from sin hardened to Christ softened. When we were separated from God with hardened hearts, we found it impossible to please Him. We tended towards selfishness, rebellion, and sin. With new hearts, we are declared the righteousness before God. The Holy Spirit gives us a desire to please God that was foreign to us in our hardened state. And 2 Corinthians says that we are being transformed in His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who, by the way, is the Spirit. God's desire for every human being, including you and me, is that we become like His Son, Jesus. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can become like Jesus only when we allow God to rid us of our old, hardened hearts and give us new hearts. Would you stand as we worship? The altar's open, by the way, if you want to come.